Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. It is me, your co-host, host, Coco, aka Cornelia Slunsky. And for those of you who have been following my Instagram stories mostly, you probably noticed that I'm currently in my home country, Croatia, because I'm dealing with something not as pleasant, and that is a massive um, cyst on my ovary, which was discovered totally random at a regular gyno checkup. So I am urging you all to just be mindful of your health and get your checkups. And just because you don't feel any pain doesn't mean that nothing is going on. And with that being said, I will absolutely have more episodes about women's health and all the things that we should know and just like why is this such a topic why is this still such a taboo it's very strange even women don't really talk about these things between each other and when I started posting that on my story I had a lot of girls reaching out to me saying thank you for sharing that so yeah I just want to you know I just want to urge you to take care of yourself but this episode is not about <laughs> vaginal health. This episode is about social media and branding. But before I tell you a little bit more about the episode, I'm going to read a review that I got from one of you because your reviews mean the world and they keep me going and they motivate me and I just love your reviews. So this one came from, let's see, this username is Okinawa Beach. I'm not sure if I pronounced this right. Probably not. Okay, it goes like this. The only podcast I need. <laughs> Thank you for your amazing podcast. I'm a French girl from Paris and my life is turning a point. I've just started my career and I left my toxic boyfriend because I deserve so much more. And yes, you do. Single life isn't easy, but your podcast is keeping me on the right path and give me the strength to pursue my goals. I love this for you, darling. And absolutely, you need to leave that toxic relationship because toxicity is not going to get you anywhere. I promise you, it's not going to get you anywhere and it's just going to hold you back in life. Whether it's a toxic friend, a toxic relationship, toxic family member, you just got to cut that shit out. But to tell you a little bit more about the episode, I spoke to Julia Montgomery. She goes by It's Me Jules on Instagram and TikTok. And I first came across her videos a long time ago when I was trying to figure out more about social media and what kind of content works and branding yourself. And she is, I can definitely say she's an expert in that field. And she also has her own startup called Influent. I think this episode is going to be very interesting for anyone who wants to learn about social media in general and how it all works and what kind of content they should produce if they're an influencer or maybe if you have a brand or you're starting a business and you don't really know where to start. We all know that social media is crucial in marketing. You can't really market without social media nowadays. So learning about all of that and what brands are looking and what influencers are looking to is just a really good episode overall to learn about this online world that we're all surrounded with. And another thing I love about Jules is that she, her career started completely different. She was supposed to be a nurse and she just decided that that's not what she wanted to do. And she pursued her dreams. And now she's running a very successful startup. And I'm so proud of her. And I really enjoy talking to her. And I urge you all to tune into this episode and follow Jules. And obviously, please leave a five-star rating and review if you're enjoying my episodes. I put so much time and energy into this. And I really hope that they are benefiting your life. And without further ado, let's now hear from Jules. Hi, Jules. Do I call you Jules or Julia? <laughs> Jules. Ever since I made It's Me Jules my social media handle, everyone's called me Jules. So it's me, Jules. Hi. Uh, welcome to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. Thank you so How much are you for doing today? Me. I'm good. I'm good. This is, I'm looking forward to this. So let's start with the basics, literally. Like, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? 
little yeah. backstory. <laughs> I'm from Michigan, suburbs of Detroit. I mean, way back, I lived on like a farm farm with my family when I was wow. really little, but I we moved to the suburbs. I got into golf when I was in high school, which is pretty late, but I got very, very into it. So then I ended up playing. Is that something it was common, like maybe in your friend group or something? Because I never heard somebody like getting into golf no. professionally. <laughs> no, um, I was just super close with my dad growing up. My dad loved golf. He played with his firefighter friends. I remember playing some other sports, like I did soccer, gymnastics, cheer growing up, and I kept getting injuries. And mm -hmm. my parents were like, can you please pick a sport that's not going to give you a lifelong <laughs> injury? Stop hurting yourself. Yeah. I was like, um, I don't know. I don't want to play a sport. My parents said, well, you have to play a sport to get a job. You can't just like sit at home. And so mm -hmm. I was like, well, I'm not getting a job. So I came home yeah, yeah. and I was like, I signed up for the golf team and I had never hit a ball before. Um, and mm -hmm. my dad was like, well, we should go to the range. And I loved it and started playing competitively, ended up playing in college. I went to University of Michigan, played golf there. Wow. And yeah, that was a fun experience. Far cry from like the farm. And Okay, so yes. after golf, what, what happened next? Then during school, I was trying to figure out my major. I remember in high school really loving um, statistics. I was like, I want to be a data scientist. My parents were like, what are you going to do with that? Mm. I'm like, well, my, my teacher's friend works at Google as a data scientist. And they're like, well, you would have to move to New York or California. You can't do that. And I'm like, oh, okay. I can't abandon my family. I'll pick something else. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll do healthcare. Um, I'm debating, do I do med school? Do I do nurse anesthesia? My family's like, well, if you do med school, you won't be able to have kids till you're 30. Like that's too late. <laughs> <laughs> my family's very traditional. Everyone lives super close to each other. They are all married. Are to, you like, guys a big family? I, we're not huge. My dad is one of four and my mom's one of three. Mm -hmm. And then I grew up in a group of like super close on my mom's side, like eight cousins. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, like medium. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's not like a huge, huge family. Yeah. But it's nice that like I can see that you guys are very close. Yes. I'm also really close with my family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. super close. And so I really took into consideration like what they said. Mm -hmm. I was like, they know me best. They're my family. At one point had mentioned an interest in business. And I remember them being like, how are you going to balance that with like having kids? That's going to be way too mm -hmm. overwhelming. You should pick a more chill career. So I'm like, okay, I'll appease them and do nursing and then I'll do anesthesia for grad school. So I'm a nurse anesthetist. So it'll be similar to a doctor's role, but I'll finish earlier. Um, really only by a few years too. I don't know what I was thinking. The difference between like 28 and 30 was when I was <laughs> 17. Um, but I'm like 28 sounds 30 seems uh, 30 seems like a huge number when you are in your early 20s. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I was a teenager too. I was like 17, 18. Oh, yeah. and I'm like 30 years mm -hmm. old. Um, well, 30s, like my, my, my mom already had two kids when she was 30. So it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> same. So I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And I, I just honestly hated it so much. Mm -hmm. I ended up moving to Cleveland for a year to work at Cleveland Clinic is kind of the fast track to anesthesia. Couldn't stand my job. Moved home for a little bit for like a reset. And I worked there. And on the side, I started an e-commerce business. It was athleisure. And what really hit was tie-dye. I just kept seeing like tie-dye sweat sets pop up on social media. And, and that was around what time? Late 2019. But before the pandemic. Okay. Yeah. Because you said tie-dye. That's like my automatic connection to Think the, of the pandemic. pandemic. For sure. I found yeah. it just before the pandemic and I saw a couple accounts selling it, but they were constantly sold out. So I was initially just a customer and I was like, I want one of these. They're cute mm -hmm. and could never get my hands on one. And then I was like, I bet I could make this. And I was like, maybe this is my way of finding out if I'm good at business. I had always heard people say like, you have it or you don't. And I'm like, I better find out if I have it before I like really go all in. So I ordered a few white sweat sets and dyed them in my parents' bathtub, took a bunch of self-timer photos, made an Instagram for it. <laughs> and I started DMing all of the people who were commenting on these competitor uh, tie-dye pages um, asking for restock, I started sending them discount codes and being like, here's wow. like the same set, I'm discounted. Okay, so we're going on and on about all these trends and everything, but like, how did you learn all of this? It was really mostly self-taught. Um, I was just doing what worked for my business when I had the e-commerce business. Um, and I honestly, like I had no budget, so everything was so scrappy. I just had to figure out 
what worked and there was no room for, um, you know, like spending a bunch of money on, um, you know, an influencer campaign where I wasn't going to see ROI. So I had Mm -hmm. to really start from the bottom and do gifting and really figure out how Facebook ads worked. And I could only pay for ads for like a couple days before seeing ROI, or I had to shut it off. Like I didn't have time for a lot of expensive experimentation. So I really just like learned it myself because I I had how did you learn it? Like YouTube books? Yeah, so there were a couple of YouTube creators that I watched in the beginning who really helped me with like Facebook ads and how to reach out to influencers to partner with them, how to initially do gifting. Like, so I I did a lot of research on, on YouTube and then a lot of it was just trial and error. Like when my one creator, I had gifted her product because I liked her Instagram and all of my gifts always came with little handwritten notes. Like I packaged them up mm-hmm. and thanked the creator. I actually do uh-huh. that for all of my merch, even till this oh, day, because I'm that's like, so sweet. I feel like people are very, people love that, like personal touch. So I think that is very important. I'm sorry, you said that she, uh, she reached out to you? Yeah. So she reached out to me and was just like, hey, I posted a TikTok wearing your stuff. Um, here's the link if you want to see it. And mm-hmm. um, I had no way of tracking how sales went, but I saw a massive spike in the exact color and set that she was wearing in mm-hmm. that video as her video popped off on TikTok and got hundreds of thousands of views. So, um, and I saw the comments too, people asking, where mm-hmm. did you get this? Oh my gosh, I need this set. So cute. Through little experimentation like that and just like mm-hmm. little trial and error, I was learning what worked. And that's when I was like, oh my God, like really personal laid back TikTok content where the product isn't actually the focus of the video, where it's just like, part of it Mm -hmm. can be so, so powerful. And I think, you know, videos where the product is the focus can be powerful as well. Um, But yeah, I just kind of started to learn to learn what was working through trying things. I just want to point this out here that you learned like you were self thought you learned something on your own, you tried and it worked. And like, that's literally how you build confidence and how you build, Mm -hmm. you know, that will and drive to continue with your company. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, 100%. And with the content creation, it's really hard to get yourself to keep going before you get something to click. Um, But once you get one thing, at least for me, it felt this way. Once I got one thing to work, I was like, okay, amazing. Even if I fail the next time, I know that it's possible that I get it right the time after Mm -hmm. that. And then I started gifting to a bunch of creators and running Facebook and Instagram ads and I saw how powerful the creator partnerships were. I had a couple of my Instagram girls post on TikTok and send me links to the videos and say, hey, we posted on TikTok. And um, one of the girls' videos in particular did $12,000 in sales. Um, With like a single TikTok, I didn't even pay her to post. I didn't even ask her to post it. She was just like, I posted Mm -hmm. wearing your stuff. And I was like, wow, TikTok's crazy. That is the place to be. Mm -hmm. So the pandemic didn't, did you use TikTok at that time as a consumer? No, I think I got TikTok pretty early, but then I was like, oh, it's all dancing videos and teenagers. And I deleted it. And then Mm -hmm. I got it back a few months later. Yeah. So I remember like thinking it was so powerful and starting to do some TikTok marketing for my brand. And then the business was blowing up. I hit six figures in like two months and quit my healthcare job and immediately was like that is wild this is my full time it was crazy my parents are like you're doing what you're you're not using your degree so you could tie-dye um I'm like trust me Yeah, yeah um so it's going really really well and then the pandemic hits it becomes a lot harder to get stock and I am at this point just like still producing it by hand I'm paying my sister to help me um very scrappy a friend from school found my Instagram like on the discover page and he was like how could you not tell me about this like e-com is my thing and we were friends in school but I was like I wasn't going to tell anyone about this until I knew I could do it because I didn't want to be like hey everyone this is my business and then it fail So I just kind of did it privately. And then he helped me find a supplier overseas. But then COVID hit and the the stock was stuck, like the the factory shut down, the textile mill shut down, and then it was stuck on like shipping ports. And I I was out of stock for like seven months. So in that period, I started posting on TikTok telling other people how I did 
influencer marketing and like how this worked mm -hmm. for my business. And I started doing influencer marketing for other people's brands. And then my TikTok blew up and like a random mm -hmm. early video. How many followers do you have now? Just under 300K. It's been a couple years now, but the early growth was so crazy. I think I got like 10K in the first month, 100K by the second month. And then it was like a slower build from there, partially because I, I backed off. That happens. That happened to me too when I just started posting Mm -hmm. often I mean they're like the uh, conspiracy theories that they do this on purpose like mm -hmm. they, they give you a few viral videos so like you get hooked and then mm -hmm. you can see you can do it and then you can do it and then like take it away but I actually want to get like into some technical stuff when it comes to TikTok later on but mm -hmm. let's continue with the story yeah for sure um so then I started doing sponsored content for other people's businesses uh like tech Startups, creator economy startups were coming to me and saying, can you post about our app? Because most of your followers are creators. People were interested in my videos that talked about like how to get people to watch your content, um, strategy videos. They were initially intended for businesses, but creators loved them just as much. I started partnering with like some tech startup founders. And then when I had the idea for Influent, what I'm currently building my startup, um, I mentioned it to them and they were just in instrumental in the fundraising process, just like helping me build my pitch deck, introing me to investors, like having me mock pitch them. Like they were very, very, I could have never done it without the people I met through TikTok. Let's talk more about TikTok in general. Mm -hmm. Like what would you say right now, like as humans, our attention spam is so short and obviously mm -hmm. TikTok is a big contributor to all that. So like, mm -hmm. where do you think that social media is going today in a sense? I kind of think that the creator economy is going to diverge. Just there are going to be kind of two paths for the new creator. And one is going to be toward becoming a true creator, a super creator, someone who either like crosses over into mainstream fame, um, someone who just becomes so big that they're known for being like now a celebrity creator. Like a D'Amelio or like yes. the Addison Ray. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And now you'll see them like mixed in with a bunch of like mainstream famous, you know, actors, musicians, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. I think that's a path. And then I think the alternative path is going to be um, bringing a ton of value through some sort of education, entertainment, and just catering to like a passion community. So I think that's going to involve being much more niched. Like my content is very much for um, people who care about building a brand, whether it's a commercial brand or a mm -hmm. personal brand, my content is very like brand building on social media. And so I think that's going to be the other option is that you really cater to a passion community in a valuable way. And then beyond that, I think everyone is going to be like a little mini creator, but I don't think it's going to be a career path for those people. When do you think that that shift changed from Instagram being such a superficial mm -hmm. kind of like non-personal platform to what it is now? I think that with TikTok, TikTok opened that up for me personally, like mm -hmm. because on Instagram before I was also posting just very, you know, superficial photos and I, I wasn't providing any value. And then when mm -hmm. I went to TikTok, I started posting just random videos because nobody was on it. So I was open to be myself. And then I realized that actually I'm good at making videos. So that was my personal story. But like, what do you think happened? Like, when did that shift happen? I think that that was a generational shift. I think Gen Z grew up inundated with content produced by influencers who were putting up this front and um, showing them this super perfect, unattainable life. And I think they were really sick of that. And then I think there were kind of a bunch of different little things that fell into place. Like Emma Chamberlain started creating that super raw, relatable lifestyle content at a time where everyone was uh, using backdrops and ring lights and baking their face. And it was like very mm -hmm. produced. So I think that we saw her success. And I think that was kind of an early indicator of what the people wanted. That's kind of like, look, we are more interested in in someone who is funny and relatable and rolls out of bed and turns on the camera than we are in someone who's going to give us like a quality um, production and show us, you know, this like perfectly produced Hawaii vlog. So mm -hmm. I think that that was like an early indicator, but TikTok for fully changed the game. I think that it's just impossible to um, fake uh, a life and a, a personality and an image uh, <laughs> through video the way that it was through yeah. photo. 
I think you just have yeah, to bring that, more value. That is so true. You you can like people can see through bullshit real fast. And this is mm-hmm. something very interesting that I posted on my story yesterday. I posted a video about me like just giving some dating advice. Mm-hmm. And usually I don't batch my content. I just shoot whenever I feel inspired. And mm-hmm. usually I don't, you know, I don't shoot like 10 videos and then save them. But that day there was this day I think like a month ago, I was, I just felt great. And I just felt in such like a wow moment. Mm-hmm. And I made a bunch of videos and edited them and just like saved them because I was wearing the same outfit. So I was like, I don't want to post them at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> that was literally the reason. And then I posted all these like five videos that were very, very like, you know, funny. And they mm-hmm. all blew up. Literally mm-hmm. every single one of them. I know exactly how much videos, like what kind of views I can expect, mm-hmm. in, you know, like average. But mm-hmm. those five videos that I made that day when I felt, I just felt great. Yes. So like transferring energy through the screen. I think that's what everybody wants. They just like want to feel like somebody's talking to them. So can you tell mm-hmm. us like, what are people actually, what do people want when they're watching content? Yeah, um, people are engaging with content where they feel like they're on FaceTime with a friend. So it's that content kind of that's less produced. Maybe someone's holding the phone. Maybe they're wearing headphones. Maybe they're walking or doing makeup or making coffee or whatever while they're talking to the camera. So like doing other things while you're talking to the camera is super helpful. Um, Same with green screen. Um, People really like green screen content because it feels casual there's a visual aid um it doesn't feel overproduced because like the effect Mm -hmm. isn't actually that perfect i think really anything that feels casual and relatable like the if you want to be a celebrity creator you have to make people feel like they're living their life with you they're getting the behind the scenes the inside look they're on facetime with you every day um if you want to bring value to a passion community that's a little bit different um but again still they want that casual they want the connection tiktok calls it breaking the fourth wall where it feels mm. like we're friends as opposed to like you're a creator and i'm the audience that's fascinating. And there's this like new trend now that TikTok is trying to push longer videos. Do you think mm-hmm. that's going to stay or you think that's going to be, you know, what's going on with that? Because I, I saw a creator on TikTok who like predicts trends, kind of similar what you do. Mm-hmm. She said that going forward, we are all going to live our own reality show in a mm-hmm. sense. And then people are going to follow you as a like as a TV show. Like yeah. the Kardashians. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think that that's the case for the people who are going to go like that mainstream celebrity creator route. Um, mm-hmm. I still think that people are going to be looking up how to do this. Um, I follow creators mm-hmm. because they help me put together outfits better than I can on my own or because they give me recipe ideas. So I think there's going to be that. But then I do think that following along, like it, every person has their own mini TV show. I think that's a good way of describing it. You started posting on TikTok, basically telling people how to grow their own brand. But at the same time, you became a brand. Would you say that's correct? Yes. (laughs) Um, It initially started with just like little things that I wish I knew before trying to grow a brand on social media. Things like which type of creators are best to partner with? um, What type of content should I be posting as the brand owner? What are people going to want to engage with? And it turned into, I I started sharing like um, psychology tips that had worked for me, like using the word you in the first sentence of the video. I have all those saved, by the way. (laughs) They're all in my saved folder. Yes, I realized that if you opened up with something either very polarizing or that addressed a pain point, a common pain point among your audience. Give me an example. Yes, immediately catch people's attention. So uh, starting with something more polarizing is like, um, I had a video where I was like, influencer marketing as we know it is dead. That is like a really dramatic way of saying yeah, something. I, I, got, I got interested. Yeah, people are like, especially if they're a content creator, they're like, oh God, what is this going to be about? Mm-hmm. Um, and then addressing a pain point would be more like if you struggle to get people to watch your videos or if you feel like you're shadow banned on TikTok, you know, like something that you hear people talking about mm-hmm. a lot and you'll see it in your comments, your, your f- viewers will tell you what they want to see and you really just have to listen. Um, So I was sharing tips like that and I thought that they would benefit brands. I wanted to work with more brands for my influencer marketing agency and they just so happened to benefit content creators at least as much. I mean, I have, I think I have more 
creator followers than I do brand followers. Um, and so then that led to me partnering with, um, you know, like tech startups who needed creators as users. So let's talk about your startup. Tell me all about it. Yeah. So, um, Influent is a UGC marketplace. It started again out of like personal pain point. I told you I took a bunch of like self timer photos in my mm -hmm. room. Um, <laughs> and that's fine for Instagram, but then getting on TikTok is a whole um, other animal. So for brands who want to build their TikTok presence, they can come to Influent and tell us a little bit about themselves. And then we will match them with a list of content creators who would be ideal for their content. So then these creators will make content for the brands. And it's not like a sponsored post. It's not like the brand is paying you to post on your platform. It's like you, the creator, make five videos for the brand to post on the brand's TikTok account. And then the brand owns it so they can post it on TikTok, on their website, they can run ads with it, that kind of thing. And um, really like the the ideal talent for this, the ideal creators for this are people who don't have large established platforms themselves. Um, they enjoy creating content, they're good at it, but maybe they haven't crossed over into becoming a celebrity creator yet, or maybe they don't know what kind of passion community they would want to cater to, but they're able to make entertaining videos. And so for brands, that's a huge pain point is how do we get on TikTok? Because it's so mm -hmm. much harder than getting on Instagram. That's very true. And I see many, many brands struggling. Like there's some brands who have like something specific to them so they are I mean they're like people literally mm -hmm. like there's something about the brand that I like to follow on TikTok because like for example I think Set Active has a really interesting uh, TikTok because they show everything behind the scenes they show everybody who works like marketing team who works on the everybody in the office they're showing like how their day in life looks mm -hmm. like I love while their other TikTok. brands yeah, they there's like you get to know the people behind them and mm -hmm. then you feel like, OK, I love the brand even more or maybe less, whatever. Mm -hmm. But then some other brands just don't really know what to post mm -hmm. or maybe they just post like hauls, like fashion, like outfits or mm -hmm. whatever. But it doesn't really hit. For sure. And it's so intuitive for so many Gen Z consumers who, especially the younger portion of the generation, has grown up uh, watching all of this video content blow up and they know what feels authentic and what feels entertaining. And so it's so easy for them to jump in for a brand and make videos that work and that make sense with TikTok culture. Whereas if you're a 35 year old brand owner, you're by no means obsolete in the business world, but you might not even be a TikTok consumer, much less someone who's able to create content that makes sense for TikTok. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very true. When I just think about like all of these, uh, never mind, like some people that I know that have companies and like if they were in the starting stages right now and TikTok mm -hmm. was their main source of marketing, they would they would just like lose it. They wouldn't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But how did you come up with the idea for your startup? Because it just sounds brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Um, a lot of iterations. We've been through a lot of iterations. Um, but it was just honestly personal pain points. I was running these influencer campaigns for brands and seeing the ROI decline. The ROI on my personal influencer campaigns for my athleisure brand was incredible. I would I was able to invest very little and get like really, really great return, especially when I negotiated for digital rights with the creators. And so I like was, you know, slowly compiling all of this information and realizing, OK, digital rights are huge. Being able to run mm -hmm. paid ad with the content that I get from these partnerships is huge. Um, OK, pa pause this mm -hmm. for a second, because for those listeners who might not be in the social media space, can you just tell us, like, what are digital rights? Yes. Um. I realized I also didn't say what UGC was and TikTok um, got really mad at me for that the other day. So UGC is user generated <laughs> content. And um, what I am trying to get to catch on is creator generated content because, you know, users are people who are already consuming the products usually or already using it and they post about how much they love it. Creator generated content is the same except for you're hiring them to make that content. Digital rights are just pertain to like who 
owns the content that was created and how can that content be used. So in general, the creator of the content has implicit digital rights. So whoever shoots the content, and this has always actually been the case. So with like traditional photography, whoever you know, shoots the cover of Vogue, if there was no paperwork written, mm-hmm. would be the photographer owns everything, all of the images. Mm-hmm. The model has no claim, the business, no one has any claim. So let me just mm-hmm. add a point here. Remember in Murata, Emily Radzikowski, or mm-hmm. how do you pronounce her name, when she had the, that whole thing with that photographer who, and this is to prove your point, like there was a photographer who took her photos. It was supposed to be like some nudes for something artistic. Mm-hmm. Long story short, she never got the photos and he made a book out of it. And she does like, she doesn't own the, mm. she doesn't own them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think it can be really predatory when there is that information asymmetry and only one side really understands what's going to be happening with the content. And I think recently influencers have become much more well-informed on this because Mm -hmm. we are so hyper-connected and you can access all of this information on TikTok and people are posting about digital rights and talking about it. Let me add something here. That is very important to understand that like once you do a campaign with a brand that they have the right to put money towards the photo Sometimes. And they can just, yeah. But if you don't read your mm-hmm. contracts, when I didn't have a manager, I I just didn't know what half of those things meant. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, whatever. I just want to get the campaign. So I will just sign the contract. And then mm-hmm. you see that they are like running ads over your phone. Fo- like maybe you get paid, maybe, maybe your rate was like really low. Maybe you were just starting, but they own the rights to your photo forever. Mm-hmm. And that happened to me with like a few, I'm not going to name drop any brands that did that to me, but it, it's literally still on mm-hmm. a campaign I did like a few years ago. I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I've seen creators come back and talk about it and say, I realized that I said they could run ads with this, but now I'm like the face of adult braces or I'm like the face of something. <laughs> and I didn't realize, I thought it would be like one ad and like it was their most successful piece. So now they're just like constantly running it. So yeah, you do have to be careful with what you agree to. Mm-hmm. So that's fine print sometimes shouldn't be skipped. For sure, for sure. And uh, it's it's difficult because that really is in a lot of cases the most important piece for the brands they do need those digital rights to succeed Mm -hmm. um so you just have to make sure that if that's what you're selling um you're really okay with them running this as an ad for whatever period of time you can also set expiration dates on your digital rights you can say six months 12 months that kind of thing so how can you then measure if the brand actually stopped the campaign when they said they're gonna stop yeah you can't (laughs) And um, I've actually had traditional, I've heard of like traditional models having this issue as well, where they agreed that this content would be used um, for a holiday campaign or whatever, and digital rights would expire, you know, January 1. And then Mm -hmm. in March, they see their ad still being run, like they're targeted with it. And they're like, uh, you said you would stop this. (laughs) And so really the only recourse you have is coming back to them and saying, you can either pay me for these months of digital rights or we can go to court. So, I mean, it it, it does get messy and hopefully that doesn't Mm -hmm. happen. But at least if you read the fine print in your contract and you know Mm -hmm. what you signed, you're able to enforce that if you find them, you know, doing something they shouldn't be doing. Let's pretend like I'm a business that I don't know anything about Instagram Mm -hmm. and I am building a brand. Is that something that your startup can help with? How would you describe who's usually who uses the platform? Yeah. um, So, I mean, a range of businesses find it useful. One would be the business you just described. You're new. You want to get on TikTok, on Instagram Reels, on YouTube Shorts. You want to run ads and you need some content. So this would have been this would have applied to me when I was first starting my business. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe instead of taking a bunch of self-timer pictures i could have paid someone who is good <laughs> i want to see those pictures. photos by the way do you have them do you still have i them? do i do actually have them um on my computer that's I can amazing send you some. Yeah. yeah yeah no but that's like you need to actually frame them you know because it's such a you can see how far you got from for you know sure. from that point when you like see it in front of you for sure for sure and then i think the other brand that it applies to is like the larger brand who has no idea how to navigate um modern social media and like how to have mm-hmm. a presence if you look like coca-cola has i don't know they've posted like nine times on tiktok and it's shocking yeah, never, that yeah. 
such a big brand would have no presence. And they were really so present on Instagram. But video is just so much trickier to navigate than photo. You know who has a great TikTok? Chipotle. Oh, yeah, they do. And so does like Duolingo. There are some big brands who really get it. Yeah, there are some brands who really get it. So for somebody who is somebody who (laughs) doesn't know anything about social media, like, can you give us a few tips where to start? Like if you're building a page from the ground up, maybe it's for a business. Let's Mm -hmm. stick to that. Like, let's say you have a business Mm -hmm. and you realize that you need to utilize social media as a marketing tool. Yeah, I would say um, storytelling videos are huge, whether you show some behind the scenes footage or you use green screen to tell your story. It's really important for consumers to feel connected to the people building the brand. That's what really compels people. People don't purchase. um, I mean, aside from, you know, necessities, I don't know if you own a Walmart, but um, people typically purchase very emotionally. So if you can form an emotional connection with your audience, you're going to have a lot easier time converting them than you would, um, you know, if you're just like showcasing your product and you're like, look how great this lip gloss is. They want to hear how you quit your job and how this business is your baby and how you spent hours and hours on the formulation. You also want to help them understand why your business is different and what kind of value you're going to be delivering to them. Consumers are a lot savvier now um, than they were even a few years ago. And they're less compelled by aesthetic packaging or greenwashing. And they're more compelled by this specific ingredient cost us so much money to add to our product. But it was so important to us that we delivered this quality product that does this to you um, that we included it anyways. I would honestly just say try and post as much as you can. And uh, again, make your consumer feel like they're part of your journey. So and this doesn't actually mean like people love transparency, but they love curated transparency. You don't mm-hmm. actually have to share like, here is our businesses like P&L from the last like that you don't need that. But you do do need to show content that would have typically been considered um, private or behind the scenes that tends to do really well on social media. So taking your consumers to the lab with you to see all of these different little things you're testing for your skincare company, um, showing them like little hints about what flavor you're about to release, like that kind of stuff that they feel like, you know, they wouldn't have seen on TV or maybe even on Instagram. Like people love that raw behind the scenes like connection. So what if somebody, let's say, understands the entire social media, um, mm-hmm. understands everything that we're talking about right now, mm-hmm. but maybe they're just shy to get in front of the camera without a person involved? I feel like it's difficult mm-hmm. to gain that connection. For sure. I think you really do need a, a person for TikTok. And that, I think, is is the biggest challenge for brands. Uh, you could have a brand social media account before a brand Instagram where it was just photos of your products and just, you know, a few clips from events that you've hosted. Now you really need a human being talking to the camera. And that is ideally where Influent comes in. If you want to get your brand on social media, then instead of struggling on camera or, you know, if you don't have the time, mm-hmm. To, to learn TikTok, you don't have the time to be posting three, five, six times a day, then just come hire a creator mm-hmm. who already knows how to create content and who's good at it and who likes doing it and have them come in and take over your social media. Or maybe you hire three creators and you have them all contribute to your social media. Um, I think on TikTok, it's so much less about how your profile looks and so much mm-hmm. more about the value that each piece of content brings. I don't know about you, but for me, I don't really go to brands on TikTok and see like, oh, do they have an aesthetic feed? Yeah, um, no. I don't look at their accounts. Not even, even for people. Yeah, I don't even. Yeah, for people. I don't know. Even though like some people say you should do a similar, you know how on TikTok you can put that frame when you're putting like a title of your video. Mm-hmm. Some people say that should be uniformed. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, and also when I go to these big creators, I don't see anything there that is uniformed. No. So I'm like, whatever, I'll just, yeah. I would even argue that like the uniform title cards um, date you and make you look a little bit more millennial. Um, because I think that Gen Z <laughs> likes the messy look. Yeah, I was about to ask about Instagram. Where do you think that's going? I personally prefer spending time on TikTok as entertainment. I just like I go there when I want to relax. But on Instagram, I feel like I'm way more connected to my audience. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, I think everyone 
feels that. And I can't tell if social media is just becoming less social. One of my smartest <laughs> friends, I just, I love her brain. She was like, social media is becoming less social. Social, It's decentralizing. So if you think about the way that MySpace, Friendster, Facebook, it was very much like I build my profile. I connect with people mm-hmm. I know. We socialize. Same kind of socialization you would have offline, but online. And then that developed into Instagram. Instagram was just a more photo forward version of it, but it was still, you build your profile, you socialize with other people. But then by accident, the Instagram influencer was born. And once influencers started like upping the ante with content and posting this like beautiful travel content and photos where they just looked perfect and they're Instagram models now, now you're going to be a little bit more conscious about what you post on Instagram. And maybe you're not posting every photo. You're not posting every single day. Maybe you're just going to be careful and only post your highlights and you're going to post from your vacation and you're going to post your best photos. So that kind of was the beginning of the divide between the creator and the consumer on social to where it's less of a just social media and it's more of a like an entertainment source. And then TikTok comes along and it's so much more decentralized. No one is like the divide between creators and consumers is massive. There are a bunch of creators who are like, you know, posting multiple times a day and constantly entertaining and on. And then there are consumers who have literally not even a profile picture and they just consume TikTok content all day, but they would never post. So, and and you don't even like really connect with your friends or your family members on TikTok. So that's one Mm -hmm. theory is that social media is just becoming less social and it's more like decentralized community entertainment. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. makes um, sense yeah and then the other idea with instagram is or like i guess the other you know idea about where we could be going with social mm-hmm. media is that one of these apps is going to figure out how to be like the super app that is where we get all of our entertainment we all of our connection and i think they're all competing for that right now mm-hmm. i saw that um i i don't know if i don't know if tiktok even had that option but i saw that instagram has these subscription options that you can pay a couple dollars a month yeah it's like a version of you know yeah like patreon but like built into the platform i think it's interesting because part of what's cool about patreon is like if you have a favorite creator you can Mm -hmm. go find you can go join their patreon community and get all kinds of their you know, exclusive content, whether that's long form video, blog posts, you know, like how to guides. And it's just like a, a subscription to your favorite creators premium community. Whereas see, like, that's inter- I, I've never even been on Patreon. I've seen people yeah. post about it, but I never went. It makes. Yeah, I think it's okay, most popular I'll, I'll for YouTubers out. to have one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this one guy on TikTok that I used to be a server. So there's this one guy who posts videos about like server life and he's hilarious. And he always posts like watch the whole video on Patreon. But yes. I never even thought of going there. But now I think I will because I find him hilarious. Yeah, for sure. And so I think that makes sense for creators. And it was a big way for them to help monetize. And I think that Instagram is realizing that they are the least beneficial to creators right now. Mm -hmm. And if that divide is going to continue to grow and it is going to be like a crowdsourced entertainment situation on social media, then they are going to need to be attractive to creators. And TikTok is attractive to creators because of the potential for growth. And YouTube is attractive to creators because of, well, now the potential for growth on shorts, but also, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the potential to actually build a long-term career and monetize and share that ad revenue. And really nothing about Instagram is super attractive to creators. What about Pinterest? Would you even consider that Mm. social media where you build a following? I know some people do. I know some people are huge on Pinterest, but I never, I just go there to like save my mood boards. I, po- mm-hmm. I used to post, actually, yeah, let me correct myself. I used to post like some random videos when I heard that some people post on Pinterest, mm-hmm. but I didn't continue. What? Mm-hmm. Maybe I should. Actually, you should, you should tell me <laughs> if I should. I think it depends on the creator and like the type of community that you're trying to build. I think it makes a lot of sense for bloggers, um, maybe for like those, you know, the people who cater to those passion communities. So because I think it's a visual search engine more than anything else. Um, But so is YouTube, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, if you are trying to, um, 
connect with a passion community who you think could be searching for you on Pinterest, then yes. So I think maybe for fashion, for recipes, for those types of creators, I think it makes sense. I think if you need to be discovered and people aren't searching for you, then I don't know that Pinterest will make sense. I want to just ask a few more questions about your business and how you started the the startup and then we're going to wrap up. So when you decided to start your company, what were you doing at the time and how did you decide to take, you know, a leap of faith because starting something new is always very scary? So I started it while I was still working my previous job. So it's not like I was like, well, time to find out if I'm good enough at business to pay my rent. Mm-hmm. So that was one way that I, I guess I like mitigated the risk and I would advise other people to do if possible. But honestly, what I have found is the biggest separating factor between successful entrepreneurs and those who think about it or aren't successful is that successful entrepreneurs are willing to commit and put a ton of time and energy and effort into something before they know if it will work out, before there's confirmation that their hypothesis is correct. So I think um, that really that acting as if or like taking that decisive action as if you just know that you will succeed is an intangible that all successful entrepreneurs have. I wish there was a way to say like, you know, this is how you can test and make sure it's going to work, but that's just not business. And so Mm -hmm. you have to be so motivated to solve a problem or so enjoy building businesses that you're okay with it failing and having to restart. I think that that is just a characteristic of an entrepreneur. (laughs) Do you think somebody can become an entrepreneur if they don't have it in them? Or do you think this drive has to be like installed? Yeah, I think there's a lot of it that you can learn. I think a little bit of it is personality dependent. And I think that certain people may just not like being an entrepreneur. I mean, there are a lot of amazing things about it, but there are also a lot of really, really challenging things. You never clock out. You're never off. All of the success really like depends on you. You don't report to anyone. So I think um, it just won't make sense for everyone's personality type. But I guess that's different than like, could you learn how to be successful? But I do think that again, successful entrepreneurs have to enjoy the journey and like have to enjoy the Mm -hmm. challenge and the process of building something um, in order to be successful in it long term. Oh, I love that. And I absolutely agree that you, you know, a lot of people don't start because they're afraid of failure. And I Mm -hmm. heard this the other day, I'm not sure who said said that, but it was like, let's say if you're so passionate about something and you care so deeply about this project mm-hmm. and you're maybe scared to push it to the next level because you don't want to see your baby, your passion, you don't want to see it fail. So mm-hmm. maybe you don't even start. So do you have any advice for those people who maybe just need that extra push? I would say a big thing for me was that I realized it was way scarier to spend my whole life doing something that I hated and like wondering if I could have made something else work than it was to like do the thing and mess it up. And I think that you just have to realize that there is no perfect time. Like there's going to be no time in your life when nothing else is going on or when you suddenly come into this windfall of cash and don't have to care about income for the next however many years like there's going to be no perfect time to start a business so you just have to send it and find out and I I think you have to like have a really honest conversation with yourself like can I swear on here (laughs) yeah (laughs) don't be a little bitch like if you want to try something you have to I was wondering, what is she going to say now? Like, yeah, I love, yeah, that's love, the nicest that. way that I Don't can put it. Don't be a little bitch, please. Yes. <laughs> Just find out if it works. Like, what is the worst possible case scenario? We are all going to die. I don't know. Some people find that scary. Some people find it comforting. Mm-hmm. I tend to find it comforting. We're all going to die. We're here for such a short period of time. We're so temporary. None of it matters. If you want to do something, just go for it. And Mm -hmm. that is like failing is so much less scary than like sitting around doing something you hate and being like trapped in your own personal hellscape. Just go for it and find out. And failure is like never that bad. Like what is the worst thing that's going to happen to you? Do you have no friend that you could live with if you like Mm -hmm. really messed up? Yeah. And it's always like failure is not final. Like you can always do it again and again. And it, 
you know, because most of my content is about dating and, you know, a relationship kind of situation. We didn't get into your dating life, which we're going to do in the next podcast. But <laughs> I always also say, like, life is too short to spend it on guys who don't treat you right. It's the same way. Like, why would you want to spend your life doing something you hate? Maybe a job that is so boring, but it is okay, it's comfortable. Mm -hmm. Like, I never want to be comfortable. Be stagnant. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand people who are just like, okay, being unhappy. Because mm -mm. once you feel that feeling of like, well, I should do something, but you're a little scared, like, you know that you have it in you and you know that you should just go for it. Because if that yes. idea... If you couldn't do it, that idea would never, ever come yes, to your head. Exactly. Everyone who's wondering if they can be an entrepreneur and they want to find out if they can be probably has it in them to do it because like you wouldn't be wondering and you wouldn't be uh, driven to do that or drawn to it if it wasn't right for you. And you have to also know that like everyone is afraid, like every yeah. single I'm afraid every day. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're, if you're not, you don't care, but like you just have to yeah. do it anyways. You can't listen to your fear and make your decisions based on that. By the way, I love all of your content on that, on, on dating mm, and just you. like not making excuses for people that you're dating and just like being super honest with yourself. It's very much giving like, he's just not that into you, but like in such a good way, <laughs> I send it to my friends. I'm like this. <laughs> Love that. Thank you. No, it really means a lot that you say that because you are the the genius behind branding. <laughs> I haven't seen any social media growth until I, you know, I just stopped caring what everybody else thinks. And I know that's like one of the most difficult things when you're like putting yourself out there and you're just like so exposed to people. Mm -hmm. But as we said, like, if you want to do something on the internet or as a brand, like you just have to go for it. And I really, really wanted to thank you for this conversation. I feel like I was like having coffee with a friend slash like at a seminar. <laughs> so thank you again. I everybody needs to follow you. So please say your Instagram, TikTok, your company and all that. Yes, yes. All of my socials are ITX Me Jewels. Uh, I wanted it to be It's Me Jewels, but that was taken. Um, mm -hmm. And <laughs> Influent is my startup. So influent.nyc if you're a brand and you want to be connected with creators to get you on social media. Um, and then same with the Instagram is at influentnyc. Thank you so much Lovely. for having me. Of course. This was so much fun. I'm going to put everything in the show notes. And uh, we obviously invite everybody to leave a five-star rating and review on this podcast if you learned something new. And I absolutely did. So I would give this episode a five-star rating if I could. But <laughs> thank you again. And I'll, um, yeah, I think I, I need to say thank you. <laughs> thank you again. <laughs> yes. Thank okay. you so much for having me. Yeah.